Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. I want to welcome each and every one of you back to week two of a series that we started last week called Invisible Enemies. I want to welcome all those that are watching online, welcome those at our McKinney campus, all those at our Hazlitt campus that are streaming with us, maybe in a video service here at the Keller campus, maybe someone watching this message later. We just want all of you to know that we're thinking about you. We're glad you've joined us on this journey. Would you put your hands together and welcome everybody that's joining in with us. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Acts chapter 4, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 29, but this is a little bit of a unique week that we're going to go on a bit of a scriptural journey for a big part of the message. I promise that I'm going to make it practical for you in the subject matter, but we're going to hit several verses together because I believe this week what I want to give you I need to give you a whole lot of scriptural evidence of it because it's somewhat of a topic that I believe is the furthest out of reach for the the majority of people, a lot of people needing more understanding in this area. So I'm telling you up front, we're gonna go through several scriptures. But if you haven't had a chance to look at last week, I don't do this a lot. You should go online and watch that because last week I laid a foundation about this topic, invisible enemies. You're like, is that biblical? What are you talking about? Well, the Bible clearly tells us that we fight not against flesh and blood. Most of our culture fights most of their battles with human strength. We, we most of the time think if I could out-argue, out-manipulate, out-control, get the right information, solve it, get a to-do list, get my boss to listen to me, my kids, if my dog would obey, if everybody would just do what I'm asking them to do, then life would be so much better. But that's the audience that I speak to. So what happens is you end up in some life scenarios that are actually not pragmatic, they're very spiritual. And God sometimes even leads you to those places to get you to the end of yourself so that you then know know how to build your spirit person, to understand what God's doing in your inner world more than your outer world so that you can learn how to trust and lean on him. And so last week I talked about this important principle when you understand what Jesus did on the cross, that when he hung on the cross and said, it is finished, He now gave you the opportunity through his life to fight. This was a big foundational thing. You now fight spiritual battles. You're not not fighting for victory or hoping God hears you. You're fighting from a place of the finished work of Christ in your life. And I said this last week, we ultimately win. This is the greatest thing about being a follower of Jesus. Without Jesus, you're an enemy of God. With Jesus, you're a friend of God. When you have Jesus, you ultimately win. They can persecute you and you only become more Christ-like, as Paul said. You can lose this earthly life, but yet we have an eternal life. So we can't ever really lose because of what Jesus purchased for us on the cross. So we're fighting from a place of victory. We talked about that and I had a a powerful moment actually last weekend and, and that became real for someone 
always love to, to just tell you the real stories. I, I met a lady named Sherry last weekend, and some friends that knew her brought her up to me, and she said, I'm 74 years old. How many of you know it's never too late? It's never too late with God. And 74 years old, she said, I've been to church so many times in my life. It's the first place I've ever come where I felt welcomed. And then she said, when you talked about what Jesus purchased for us, I gave my heart and life to Christ in that service. Thank you for the way you love people. Did you know the way we love people shows people the goodness of God and God uses that to change people's eternal destiny. So thank you for being you. We're talking about invisible enemies though and I wanna give you another verse that contradicts a little bit how we naturally approach spiritual battles. Last week we learned our position, if you will. Last week we learned how we need to position ourselves. You know, when you're fighting a fight, your position is important. This week I don't wanna talk to you just about your position, I wanna talk to you about your power. Where does the power come from to win the victory? How do you get more power for the battle? Because the Bible says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. It's like, I, you don't need to out-argue somebody. You know, if arguing helped us win the battle, we have already won because we've got the most verbal, argumentative group of people that have ever lived. Arguing is not gonna cut it. You're not gonna persuade, convince, control, manipulate, plan, scheme, strategize. He says, look, we don't fight with the weapons of the world. It says this, on the contrary, we have these different weapons and they have divine power. The weapons we have have divine power to destroy strongholds. You're like, what's a stronghold? It's, a, it's, the, it's an encampment. It's a, it's a structure of, if you will, that, it, that encapsulates and contains and keeps out the good things. And so it's, this, it's a, a military concept of this stronghold that says these, this divine power destroys those things. So I wanna talk to you about power this weekend. How do you get more power? I don't know if anybody I talk to you say, hey, could you use a little more strength? Could you use a little more power? Could you use a little bit more of God's gracious ability in your life for what you face? Everyone, I think, would say, I'll take that. We depend on power in our modern world. The other day, I had a power issue with my air conditioner. My air conditioner went out, and, and that's like, that. if the devil hates me, that's what you do to me. I hate being hot, and now it's like Texas summer. Some of y'all are not from Texas. It is the promised land. Um, but, but it's like hell in the summer. I mean, it, it is, okay? You gotta have you some AC. How many of you have ever been late to a meeting or wanting to go somewhere, you get in your car and you like start as the battery, you, don't, you have a battery problem, no power, it's frustrating. But the single thing we are most dependent on for power that you used to not be dependent on now is you gotta have power for your cell phone. And we gotta have our kids to have power for that cell phone, right? Because that's how we control them, with their cell phone. You want a cell phone? Yes, we'll give you one, but we have to know where you are at all times so we can text you. You can't do what we used to do. Our parents didn't know where we were. You could just say, I'm spending the night with so-and-so. They'd have to work through a whole set of relationships, call an operator to get somebody on the phone to find out now we could just text, where you at? Don't lie, I'm tracking you on 360. Y'all know you track your kids. You know where they're at at all times. Then you just text their mom. Is so-and-so with, y'all, they having a sleepover? Kids can't get away with anything now. And so it's a mandate. Two things in my house. Number one, don't get my charge cord, but keep yours charged. Sometimes you gotta get positional. 
this is off limits to you. If this gets removed from my bedroom, bad things are gonna happen to you, okay? But we want you to keep yours charged. You got to because we have to control you. We have to know where you're at. We have to know everything about you and that's how we do it is through your phone because we are tracking you. We're watching you, right? We had this happen this weekend actually. My oldest, I have two out of the house. I have one that's about to be a senior, Lauren Elizabeth. And so it's Saturday morning and, and uh, you know, we're just kind of going about our routine and I left the house, went to the gym, messing around, you know, and, and then I get out and there's all these texts from my wife and she's like, well, where's Lauren? I'm like, I don't know. Asked Lanny Kate, my youngest. She goes, wow, I haven't seen her. Maybe she's sleeping in. It's Saturday. Went up to her room. She's not there. She's not there. And I'm like, well, let's call her. So I call her straight to voicemail. Don't screen your dad. <laughs> but she didn't screen me. She had, you could tell, but kept doing it. It's like the power's off. So now we're like, where is she? And she didn't tell us and what's going on and she's gone. And, and then like, I'm serious, like an hour later, my, like, have you found Lauren? No, we don't know where she is. You know, and now mom's getting perturbed. You know what I'm saying? Now you're in trouble. You are now deeply in trouble. It's like, and then all the thoughts come. Did she run away? Has she escaped? Did she elope with some guy that we haven't met? <laughs> where is she? And it's like it's straight to voicemail, straight to voicemail. Now her mom is getting really mad. She's like, she is so grounded. She is so in trouble. I'm telling you, I mean, this girl is in such trouble. She may not even get to go to college. She'll be grounded into adulthood till she's 30. Later on, we called someone of this and checked around and found, and basically we figured out she, she was taking her ACT. <laughs> Come on, parent fail. <laughs> but I'm telling you, some of you, you got to have power for that phone. You carry a little side deal around to keep it charged up. Are you with me? You know, you have a problem. You really do. I know cars and AC and phones and all that, but did you know, this is the thesis of what I want you to really understand this weekend. It's a good thing to know your position, but if you don't know about the power available, you will always feel under-equipped for the battle. Because you, you don't have enough personal strength to fight spiritual battles with your own abilities. And so that's why the Bible keeps encouraging us toward this power that's available. And I wanna tell you, what is the, the current, present, active, person of the Godhead that gives us the daily power, that person is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And even when I say that, all of you have different thoughts. Some of you are like, wow, I've heard that, but I don't know much about it. Others of you have experiences. Others of you have different theological, you have different backgrounds. I want to I share some barriers. First of all, you need to understand this. The average Christian today believes that the Holy Spirit is a nondescript symbol or force like a wind of some sort. The Bible uses descriptions, but the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. It's a person. It's who, who we interact with in present day as Jesus ascended into heaven to provide for us power. So my question is, how well do you know him? And how much do you interact with the person of the Holy Spirit for power on a daily basis? You say, well, well here, here's some things that I think hold us back as I just begin to pray for you. Here's some barriers we have in our current day. First of all, we have some cultural barriers with the Holy Spirit because most of the people, whether you're online in Hazlitt or people right here in the room that I talk to, that I preach to this weekend, 
our natural bent is we don't need power outside of ourselves. We just need some information that we don't have. We believe we have the ability. We have the, the resources. We have the, the sources. We, we, we have what we need most of the time. And again, that's why you hit spiritual battles that you come to the end of yourself. So most of us are very pragmatic, analytical, self-sufficient people. And we think, man, you need to figure it out. You, you, need, you just need to figure it out. You just need to do it. You need to just make it happen. You need to be, look, quit being lazy. Get up, fix it, do it. So we naturally default to ourselves. I want you to be very clear about this though. I love the people I pastor. I love where I live. I love everything about all of it, but we are a microcosm, first of all, of church history. Even within church history, a very logical, cerebral, analytical Christianity, and I'm not saying you have to get a lobotomy to worship God. We worship God with our minds, but I will tell you, most of the time when you interact with the Spirit of God, the Word of God, it's contradictory to natural human thinking. In fact, the Bible says, things of the Spirit are foolishness to the carnal mind. The hardest person for me to minister to or relate to is like a good kind of analytical, good old person. It's kind of like, I got it together. They're the hardest because they're like, well, here's what I think. Well, this is what logically makes sense. I was ministering to a guy this week. Well, this is in my logic. It's kind of like this, this, and this. And I'm like, that makes a lot of sense in human logic. The only problem is it's not God's way and you have to do it God's way for a little while outside of your way to find out God's way is the best way. So you gotta get your mind offended to what you think, your truth. Things of the spirit are foolishness to the carnal mind. By the way, the word of God, the Bible, is really more African or, or, or Eastern than it is who we are. The, the, most of the world lives with a dependency on God that we ourselves a lot of times take for granted that we don't have to have. So just so you know, you're reading when you read the Bible a much more third world than first world book. So we have a cultural problem. Some of us have a theological problem. We grew up in atmospheres. Maybe you grew up like me. I grew up in an atmosphere where I had a theological bias toward the person of the Holy Spirit. I thank God for my heritage, learned to love preaching the word, studying the word properly. By the way, to be into and open to the work of the Spirit is not to in any way deny good, sound, biblical, hermeneutical, exegetical, good handling accurately of the word of God. They're not in competition with each other. But for me, I grew up with a good word-based faith and we're gonna preach the gospel and that's the theme of the Bible and we're gonna get people saved and just like Sherry, we're gonna put them in a tank and we're gonna put them under till they bubble and come up saying tithe and together we build. Y'all know what I'm saying? If you didn't say it, we held you under. Go, 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 go. Had a mural in the background, pastor and waiters. But we didn't read Acts a lot. I'm not saying it was the main purpose of my pastor who I love and a church I grew up in. I don't know that it was their main purpose. I don't know if they intentionally did it. I will say this. The pervading message was the Holy Spirit used to do, but he does not currently do. That's what I got. How many of you know when you show up in an atmosphere where you have theologically boxed the Holy Spirit to what he used to do as opposed to what he currently does, you've immediately changed the atmosphere that you're in? I'm gonna tell you something about milestones. I hear people say, man, I felt some, I experienced this. I, it's, it's not emotion, 
God does touch our emotions, but we're not led by our emotions. It's the active, present working of the Spirit. Two years ago, I had a guy who gave his life to Christ who came here and he goes, I felt like I was having a spiritual allergic reaction. I'm like, that's called the power of God. That's called the present working of the Holy Spirit. So we have these theological biases. Some of us have experiential biases. You're like, okay, man, here it goes. The pastor's preaching on the Holy Spirit. He's about to read out of Acts, about to talk all about this. This is where this church who I really loved and I thought these guys were actually saying, this is where it all goes off. Because you've been around some experience where you saw someone on television or your weird aunt and you think what it is to be open to the Holy Spirit means a weird-eyed person, you know, that talks weird and you're just like, oh my gosh, what happened to you? Here's my goal today in the limited time I have. Not for you to understand the Holy Spirit based on your experiences or your biases or your background, but based on what the Word of God says. Based on what the Word of God teaches. And so I wanna help you gain some power in your current battle because that's what the Holy Spirit does. It's not just what he did. You say, okay, well, let's do that. Let me take you on a journey for a minute, okay? I can take you to Genesis because the Holy Spirit's all the way through the Bible. Remember, he's the Godhead. He, he's Jesus, the Father. They're all one, separate, but one. And so I could take you multiple places, but I like this one because it pushes on our culture and it's a good one, Zechariah 4, 6. I love it. You're like, Let me read it. Maybe some of you have heard it. Let me me read it. It says, the word of the Lord came to Zerubbabel, and it said this, not by might nor by power. I hear that. Jeff, not by your strength, not by your ability to solve it, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. That's a powerful thing. I mean, in fact, that's so good for all of us. What if you approached your day? What if you approached your parenting? What if you approached your job? What if you approached everything you do every day to go, it's not by my power, it's by my spirit working. It's the spirit of God working in me. Imagine how that would radically change the things that you're facing. Let me give you a little context though. The angel of the Lord, you're like, what's happening here? The angel of the Lord is speaking to the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah is speaking to the king who's in the lineage of David. The, the people of God have been in exile. So they've been in a battle, fighting for their identity, dealing with their sin, dealing with their separateness from God. God's wanting to restore them. So they're coming out of exile, but now they're about to rebuild their life. And this is the way I see this, 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 this exhortation from the angel of the Lord to the prophet is saying this, it's not just the battles you have faced, but it's the battles and challenges you're going to. Let me help you as you're going to this new season. Think not by your own strength. That's what got you in exile in the first place but let my spirit lead you into it. And I want you to know this, the spirit of God present and active in your life is not just for the battles you're currently facing, but the things you will face, you have confidence to walk in them because he will be with you and empower you in every battle. Now, you say, well, that's great, that's Old Testament, New Testament. This ongoing work of the spirit, I love a great example. I just love looking at the disciples themselves. So I'm talking to you about an active, ongoing, present work of the Spirit in your life. Now I know when I say that, there's some of you already out there, you're like, are you denying the Spirit's work in my life when I was in the fourth grade and I went to vacation Bible school and I gave my life to Christ? No, absolutely not. 
The Spirit of God, you don't give your life to Christ without the active work of the Spirit of God. I'm gonna preach the gospel, but I've learned a long time ago, I can say all the great things, we can have fun, I can tell the greatest jokes, but if the Spirit of God does not draw you, change you, transform you, you will not surrender yourself to Jesus. Let me just tell you, you can't argue your friend into knowing Christ. It'll be the day the Spirit of God reveals their lostness, their separateness. And that day when that Spirit really, when the Spirit of God reveals that, that's where change and transformation happen. But a lot of people I know, due to just perspectives and theology, spend so much time defending what the Spirit has done that they miss what the Spirit wants to do. I I received this Holy Spirit. He's the one that changed you. He comes into you. He seals you. He saves you. He transforms you. Absolutely. Finished work of Christ happens by the Spirit of God. But a lot of times I hear, well, that that happened to me in 1976. I, I, I had an encounter with the Spirit in 1976. My statement to people, but your current battles, you may need another dose of the ghost. You may need the present active working of the Spirit in your life. The disciples did. The disciples in John 16, Jesus starts preparing them for his his leaving. He says to them, it's to your advantage that I go away. Now that's hard for them to receive. This is their teacher. This is who they've walked with. It's to your advantage that I go away because I'm gonna send you a helper. You're gonna have some help. John 20 though, here's the encounter. This is amazing, post-resurrected Jesus, the disciples. He breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, scholars debate here, what happened? What happened? Is this where the disciples were saved? Because I thought everyone was saved and the Spirit of God came upon everybody on the day of Pentecost. So there's debate. Wait a minute, we've got him preparing them. Now we got John 20, he's breathing on them. Here's the point I'm trying to make. We're way too just linear in our total thought process based on our culture. I'm gonna tell you this, I don't know for sure. Were they changed, transformed, empowered, baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit? Yes. All I know is when the post-resurrected Jesus breathes on you and says, receive the Holy Spirit, something powerful happened. Something powerful took place. But he still tells them, go wait in Jerusalem for power. Luke 24. Boy, that's a word for a lot of us too. I translate it in what Jesus was saying. He actually tells them, like, go wait, you'll be clothed, all this. I, I translate it, do nothing till you get clothed with power. Do nothing. Well, that's hard for, I mean, some of you out there are twitching right now. Wait a minute, my battle, do nothing. Well, I gotta look for a consultant. I've gotta look for the medical professional. I've gotta Google the right thing. I've gotta call so-and-so. I gotta find five people to counsel me on the exact thing. I gotta look for this. If I just had that, if I just knew this, I've gotta solve this. I've gotta fix this. I've gotta find out exactly all of it. What about wait for power? Wait for power. The concept, yes, this is the disciples, but the concept is scriptural. He says, wait. And then what happens in Acts 2? The Holy Spirit comes down. They're in that upper room. The Holy Spirit comes, empowers them like cloven tongues of fire, comes upon them as a great mighty rushing wind, comes upon them and empowers them for what they had to walk into. What then happened was they start preaching. Peter preaches the first sermon. 
people are getting saved, lives are being transformed, a beggar who had been sitting by the city gate is standing up, running, praising, leaping, praising God, because he told him, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. And here's the context of what was happening after the Spirit of God comes upon everyday people. You're like, but that's the disciples. But no, the promise in Acts 2 is, it's for you, it's for your children, it's for those who are far off, it's for all of us, and the context is still true today. People that are leaning toward God, open to what God's doing, his active presence, he's showing up, lives are being transformed, everybody who's busy explaining away what used to happen, they're in the category of people. The lost are being saved, the, the hurting are being healed, God's doing stuff, and religious people are mad. Why are they mad? I don't know, they're just mad. Religious spirit just makes you mad and you miss everything God's doing in your generation. You say, well, what are you trying to say? I'm saying active, present, ongoing. Acts four, same thing. They get thrown in jail, come out of jail. The religious leaders are like, you have to stop talking. They say, we can't stop talking about what we've seen and heard. And now they end up in another setting where they have an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Acts 4, it says, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hands to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute. The same guys who Jesus breathed on, the same guys who were at Pentecost, they're now in another setting where they are under the pressure and the press and the enemies working against them. They're in a spiritual battle. The place where they were was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke the word of God boldly. I wanna spend my remaining few moments. I believe when you have an active and present relationship with the Holy Spirit, you get help and power. I believe it was in the disciples' life. You're like, well, that's the disciples. The apostle Paul says this, be not drunk with wine, but be ye filled with the Holy Spirit. The word filled there is an active tense. The verb in Greek means ongoing. You say, Pastor Jeff, how do you categorize milestone or even categorize what you understand from the word? What was your kind of evolution here for me is not a ceasing concept, but a continuing concept. A continuing relationship, and really my best picture, you're like, man, I experienced something here. Here's one of my best pictures. I grew up with a good fireplace. And by the way, having, having a relationship with the Holy Spirit doesn't mean you have to be loose hermeneutically or exegetically with Scripture. They're not in contradiction. I grew up with kind of a good fireplace, kind of everything put together, but no fire. My, the church I grew up in, we had a good fireplace, just no fire. Then I went and hung out with my wife's friends for a little while, and they had a fire, but they burned the place down before they got it under control. So I began to think as we planted Milestone, I'm like, what if we could marry the fireplace of God's patterns and God's principles with the fire of the Holy Spirit so that we actually see what the Holy Spirit's intention is that the, that the Spirit of God comes upon you so that you can be my witnesses. I want this for you, I, I'm, I'm telling you, I look back on my understanding and my development and my openness and the things I began to develop in, I can tell you this, I probably wouldn't be able to stand here before you today still doing what I'm doing had I not been taught this. If the disciples needed it, who am I to think I don't? And how the Holy Spirit is there to 
lead you, guide you. I wanna give you a few of the principles. First of all, how does he give us boldness? How does he give us, I like to think, courage in your battle, power in the battle. If you're in it, you're like, how do I get some power? Number one, he gives us, again, one of the most practical things. When I don't know what to do, the Holy Spirit guides you. He's the one that's directing you. He's the one there. That's what Jesus said he would do. You don't have to figure it out. When you're in a spiritual battle, many times there's confusion. There's, what do I do? And the Holy Spirit is there available to lead you. Your flesh will drive you. Let me, let me give you some feelings. I've got to. Oh, we're gonna lose that. We've gotta do it now. Oh, no. Most of the time, anything you have to do fast, quick, now, and make happen is your flesh. Because your flesh drives you, but the Spirit of God leads you into the things God has for your life. He'll speak to you. Let me say to parents, this point right here, because I'm, I'm just telling you, we, we, even many of you that I'm talking to, not necessarily the younger generation, we still have a cultural concept even of life that's a waning concept of a very linear, practical, pragmatic concept. Most younger people have grown up with spiritual encounters and spiritual cartoons and spiritual video games. They're way more open to spiritual things. And I wanna tell you, the number one thing to all of you young families, as I'm starting to get kids a little bit older, you want them to have an active relationship with the Spirit of God He's the best guide for them. You can't track them on 360 for the rest of their life. That's why we have these camps. That's why we have retreats. My kids play sports. My kids are involved in different things. But let me just tell you, I'm saying it to every young family. Whatever it takes, you wanna put them in these atmospheres where they learn how to experience God. Not just cerebrally think about, but experience him. Experience him. He guides you. He never guides you outside of the word of God. Jesus, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, they're all one. The word of God is always, so when you say, wait, guides you, you're talking about outside the word. No, he always guides you in conjunction with the word, and the word's the primary way that we get direction. But where we're at today is we have all these principles and concepts, and we have all these programs that we put our kids in, but we don't put them in a learning kind of place where they can experience it. It's one thing to say from scripture, the Holy Spirit guides you. It's another thing for him to actually speak to them. I love the testimonies from our middle school camp because we focused on this this year, multiple ones. God spoke to me, God did this. I love Sam. Sam had an encounter, fully surrendered his life to Christ. He encountered him. Uh, we have a whole testimony from him where he had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Let me just tell you, when he leaves his parents' house, when he goes to college, the greatest thing that he takes with him is not even all his educational or sports training. It's that one thing. I know how to open my Bible and hear from God. I know how to hear from God. I know that's what keeps you, by the way. That's the only thing you have in the world's pressure. The only thing you have for your children is that it's not only the word of God, but the spirit of God that creates an atmosphere where God is real and he speaks to me and he changes my convictions. So the Holy Spirit will guide you. You don't have to live lost. Here's the second one. When I wanna give up, the Holy Spirit reminds me of God's truth. I wanna look in the camera, say to everyone, maybe someone watching online, you're the most vulnerable to compromise 
when you're in a spiritual battle. Because remember, you come to the end of yourself when it's a spiritual battle. You can't fix it, you can't control it, you can't manipulate it. It's like, okay, what do I do? And you're at the end of yourself and you just kinda wanna give up and you wanna compromise or you wanna settle. Can you imagine these early disciples? They're preaching the gospel. They're standing for Christ. They get thrown in jail. They end up at a prayer meeting. Can you imagine the pressure they were under? But they got in that place and prayed and the spirit of God came and granted them the boldness. Then he's still doing that today. When you wanna give up, he reminds you of God's truth. He reminds you of what God has said. And that's what gives you the courage to keep taking your next step. I love to, to teach. I just, this weekend, I, I had a guy come up to me. He goes, well, I grew up in church. And it actually told me his dad was a pastor, but no one had ever taught him how to meditate on God's word and how to engage the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. You could do this every day, every morning. And then he told me this, this helps, so maybe it'll help you. This week, I had a guy. And he said, I'm under spiritual attack. I've had anxiety like I've never had before. I recently had an encounter with him and I've been trying to disciple him and help him learn how to make the word real. He said, I haven't really read the Bible much. I know a few verses, I know I'm saved, but it's like the enemy's attacking me. And I said, well, here's the thing. You gotta learn how by the spirit of God with the word of God to meditate on God's truth so you can contradict the enemy's lies because they're abundant. He goes, well, how do you do that? I said, well, here's a, there's a philosophy change. Meditation in our world today, worldly meditation is emptying your mind. Worldly meditation, by the way, it's more common even among culturally, you know, upward, mobile, educated, whatever you want to call it, even, even kind of rational thinkers, it's more common to have new age thought. Self-help is the number one bookstore department and people have vision boards and, and, and thinking, and all these new age things. It's kind of like, I gotta empty myself. I gotta, look, meditation is not bad, but it's biblical meditation that you want. Biblical meditation is not empty in your mind. Biblical meditation is renewing your mind by the washing of the water of the word. And biblical meditation is how you fight the core battle. And so I just had him there and I said, let me show you how to do it right now. I said, well, we gotta meditate. Now this is a gross illustration. Meditation, that word is really a concept that's like a cow chewing his cud. Cow has these stomachs. And so I said, here's what you gotta do, take you a verse. So I picked one that I love. I said, last weekend I gave it to our church. You have not been given a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. So you wake up, you're afraid. You got all these things coming at you. You have everything tormenting your mind. So you wake up and you start meditating on that verse. And I said, here's how you do it. I've not been given a spirit of fear. So if I'm afraid, that's not from God. Because God doesn't give a spirit of fear, but a spirit of fear can control me, the spirit of the enemy that wants to control me and get me in anxiety and depression, everything else controlling my mind. Some of you are like, I don't know how to meditate. Do you know how to worry? Your silence is deafening, okay? It's like, yes. <laughs> You're good at it. And what is it? Worrying is just meditating on everything else other than the word of God. So what you need to do, I've not been given a spirit of fear. I told him, chew on it, now, now, swallow. I told you it was gross. Regurgitate it up. I've not been given a spirit of fear, but I've been given love. My God loves me. I may have made mistakes, but he loves me. I'm not a mistake. My parents may not have loved me. People at my job may not love me. My dog may hate me. 
but I'm loved by God. And his love is what is changing me. Perfect love casts out fear. And you just meditate on it. I am loved by him. <laughs> Swallow. Come back. I've not been given a spirit of fear because God doesn't give that, but I'm loved by God. I've been given love. I've been given power. I feel weak. I feel weak for the battle. Talk to anybody today. How you doing? Tired. I don't have to say tired. I'm given power. I have power from God. Not power that I generate. Not power that I come up. I've been given power by God. He's given me supernatural power. Boom. You just keep going. He's listening to me. And I'm just like, mm, I keep swallowing and keep chewing on it again. And then they get to the sound mind and you feel like you're crazy, but you got the sound mind. And now we're down to like, when you're chewing the meat off the bone, it's like, you know, now our kids get all the, they get first in the line. You know, it's like, how can we get you the perfect chicken tender? When I grew up, you're at the back of the line. All the parents ate all the good pieces. You got the neck. <laughs> so you learn how to, you know, my kids don't know how to chew meat off a bone, but we just, now we're getting the bone. We're getting down to the bone of the scripture, right? The sound mind. And you're chewing on it. And you're chewing on it. And it changes you. It changes you. The spirit of God reminds you of the truth that is, is, gives the contradiction and the pushback to the enemy's lies. Here's the final thing. The Holy Spirit helps you when you're weak. The Holy Spirit helps you. And I'll give you one example. This is not an exhaustive example. It's not the only example. But in my limited time, I want to give you one that I know about that I believe is powerful that I want to introduce to some of you. The Bible says in Romans, in fact, that when you're in that place where you feel weak and a battle can make you feel weak, the spirit, you're like, I know I need to pray, but I don't even know how to pray. You can end up in some battles where you don't even know exactly how to pray or what to exactly do. And so you kind of say a few things and then you fall asleep and you don't know how to do what the Bible says to like have this continual relationship with God where you're praying. And the Bible says in Romans that when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit of God helps us in our weaknesses and actually the Spirit of God helps intercede for us. Do you know 1 Corinthians 14 actually says... And so there is a gift of tongues in the, the New Testament spirit gifts that is a proclamation gift, but it has an interpretation that's a blessing for others. But in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, I pray with my mind, but I also pray with the spirit. So there's a spiritual prayer that you can pray through the Holy Spirit that gives you power. And, and again, let me clarify something because some people say, well, well I, I know some of the objections. This is not these are more spiritually elite people. Paul addresses that. He says, look, this isn't for others. It shouldn't make you arrogant. It shouldn't make you, I'm, I'm a special Christian under no circumstance. It's not to create confusion in the body. It's not for public, but I do want you to understand if you wanna learn more about some of those things, then there's a lot of you in freedom. You're gonna understand some of these things. In 301, you're gonna understand. But Paul begins to show us in 1 Corinthians 14, yes, when there's something for the body, prophecy, proclaiming God's word, the body is edified, but he says, when you pray in the spirit, you are edified. You say, pastor, what's the bottom line of all of this? Here's the bottom line. The Bible has so much to give us in terms of the power of a relationship with the Holy Spirit, you may not have looked holistically at all of the scriptures to see what's available through the power of the Holy Spirit, but let me give you the bottom line theme. Over and over in scripture, he says, you don't have to be afraid, I'm with you. 
over and over and over. This isn't an exhaustive list. I looked as many as I could up this week just to show you in an overwhelming picture. Get past your culture, get past your biases. The disciples had multiple encounters. Paul said you need a continuous filling of the spirit. The Bible's a spirit empowered book that shows us God's power that's out of the box of the way we many times live. But the theme of all of this message of the spirit is I'm with you. He's the parakletos, the one that comes alongside. So if you feel like you're alone, if you feel like you're underempowered, if you feel like you need strength, the spirit's always saying this, he's with us, he'll never leave us, I'll be with you, I'm with you always, the Lord your God is with you. That's what he's saying to us over and over, but we may have pushed him out. Did you know Ephesians says you can grieve the Holy Spirit? You can grieve him. He's a gentleman. Now he can usurp your will, but the present active power and encouragement that he wants to give us, you can simply say, I got it. I got it. You can push him to the side. When he's just saying, when you invite him in, he keeps reminding you of this. I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads with me. I don't want anyone moving around for just a minute. We're gonna close our service in a little bit more experiential way. I don't do this much. I do realize everybody right now, again, you, you're, you know, you're gonna, as we get close to the end, I'll dismiss you, unless it's an emergency, just stay with me. You don't have a lot of moments like this, okay? And so you got battles and God just wants to come and, and, and comfort and strengthen and empower you right here in this moment. And there may be somebody out there, I'm not gonna make you come forward, I'm really not gonna embarrass you, but I do, I felt impressed this week. There's some of you, you need to take a spiritual step. God really wants to minister to you, maybe where you're at at home or at Hazlitt or wherever you're at, you're just like, what do I do? Well, Luke 11 says that, that if we are like natural parents wanna give good gifts to our children, will he not give the Holy Spirit to them who ask? So a lot of times it's just you simply saying and asking, God, I, I wanna receive from you. I, I, want, I wanna encounter you. I want you to move in my life. And again, I'm not gonna embarrass you, but I, do, I did feel this week that this is, this is something that God wants to do. And so if you're, if you're there and you say, Pastor, you've been preaching to me, I want you to specifically pray for me. Again, I'm not gonna make you come forward, but I wanna pray for you where you are. Why don't you just stand on your feet? Sometimes in church it's good to take a face step and you say, that's me, stand up, just go ahead. Just with the courage and boldness. He wants to give you courage, he wants to give you boldness. Thank you for standing, I see a lot of you standing. I don't know if you're at home, you may just wanna stand up. Or if you're in Hazlitt, you may wanna stand up. Anyone else that says, that's me, pray for me, pastor. I'm encouraged by all of you that are standing because sometimes just standing up is just saying, Lord, I need, I need, I need what you have to offer, I'm, I'm asking you. He doesn't, he doesn't respond to us trying to perform, but he does respond to our, our sincerity and our authenticity. And so right where you are, I just want you in your spirit, just you and God, say, God, between you and him, I know through the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I'm praying right now. I'm asking you, fill me afresh and anew. Strengthen me today. Strengthen me, come in. You know the things that I'm battling and I'm, I'm asking you. I'm, I'm turning over, just, just yield. I'm turning over my strength, my power, my ability to, to yield to more of your power. And Lord, I'm praying that just like you did in the book of Acts with those disciples, courage is being imparted today. 
Because even the courage it took to stand in an auditorium full of people, the people standing, you're granting them courage and strength for their battle in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.